This morning, I'm going to take a few minutes and I want to preach a message to you that I have had prepared for a while, but the, the Holy Ghost just keeps hijacking everything that we're doing, and that's great. Hallelujah. Because his plan is always better than my plan. Anything that God has prepared, I promise you, is far better than anything that I prepared. And so, I began to teach last week on faith. And today I'm going to follow that and teach you some principles of faith. I know when I was in Bible college, one of the first, uh, my first semester, I had to take a class called Principles of Faith. And it, and it was one of my favorite classes that I ever took, but it's so important that you understand this elementary fundamental principle. So I'm going to go ahead and just get into this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that people receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hebrews 6.1. I want you to see this. So as Paul says, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, let us stop going over the basic teachings of, about Christ again and again. Say basic teachings. Let us go on in, instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance. If you have your Bible open, I want you to highlight that word, the fundamental. You might be reading a translation that says the elementary principles. So fundamental, elementary principles of it, repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. If you read Hebrews 6, 2, he goes on to talk about baptisms uh, and the second coming of the Lord, the resurrection. And he talks about laying on of hands. So he's talking about these fundamental doctrines, but for the sake of this morning, I want you to just see this one piece here. He says the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing your faith in God. So according to the Bible, the doctrine of faith is an elementary, ABC, fundamental principle. That's why it's so important. That's why they had it in my first year of Bible college as a class, principles of faith. Here's the thing. If you don't understand what faith is, how to get faith, how to use your faith, you can't access one promise from the scripture. Everything is received by faith. Did you know that you receive salvation by faith? The Bible says that salvation is not of your own works. It's by God's grace received through faith. You can't even be saved without faith. So nothing in the word of God can you receive without faith. It's important that you understand, and, and, and not just this idea of, well, okay, I've been saved, I have faith. No, faith is so much more extensive than that. If you read the Gospels, when we'll get into some of these stories in a little bit, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see many times that Jesus healed in response to their faith. You know, think about the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus didn't even pray for her. She reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and it says virtue went out from him, and immediately the bleeding stopped. And what did he say? Woman, your faith has made you whole. Many times you'll see that phrase. Jesus said, you weren't made whole by my prayer. You were made whole by your faith. So your faith pertains to much more than just salvation. It's how you access everything. And the reason that most Christians today live defeated and they never see one promise of God come to pass in their life is because they have not learned the elementary fundamental doctrine of faith in the Bible. What faith is, how do I get faith, how do I use my faith? 
Look at Hebrews 11.6. It's impossible to please God without faith. Say impossible. The Bible doesn't say it's hard to please God. It says it's impossible. That means you cannot please God without faith. So if I can't please God without faith, there's no other way to please God except by faith. I would say that it's pretty important I understand what faith is and make sure that I have it and that I'm using it because if I'm not, then I'm not pleasing God because it's impossible to please him without faith. Anyone who wants uh, to come to him must believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those that sincerely seek after him. Hallelujah. Say, though, he's a rewarder of those that sincerely seek after him. This will help your Christian doctrine so much if you understand this, that God is not a communist and he's not a socialist. God does not take two people that do two very different things and give them the same thing. God does not work that way. You know, that's why it's so important that you understand. I hear people get up and teach the tithe. Well, if you have to give, God bless. If you have not to give, God bless. Well, God desires to bless you if you have not to give. And if you don't, even if you have and you just say, well, I, I have it, but I'm not going to do it. God desires to bless you, but the ultimate reality is he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. That means that you can't have one person that gives everything to Jesus, not just their money, but I'm talking their time, their talents, their energy, their devotion, their life on this earth, and one person that absolutely cares nothing about the things of God. Those two people will not get the same thing from the Lord. God's not a socialist. And Jesus said in the, in the parable of the, of the three servants, there was different talents given. One took the talents, the five talents, multiplied them to ten. The other one took the two, or it was the three talents, and multiplied them to four or, or six, one or the other. And the other one took what Jesus gave them, the master gave them, and did nothing with it. What did Jesus say? Take from the one that did nothing and give it to the one who has ten. God rewards Action. God rewards those that diligently seek after him. Praise God. And you'll never hear me say things like, well, say hello, everybody, to our online campus. Guess what? We don't have an online campus. I'm glad that God gave us this technology, but I'm just going to tell you something. There's a reward for those that came this morning to get in the anointing. And, and the fact of the matter is it's not me being harsh. It's not me rebuking anybody. It's me telling you the absolute truth. You will not get the same thing that the people that decided to stay home will get. I'm not saying they won't get anything from the Lord, but God rewards those that diligently seek after him. God rewards the person that got up, made themselves crawl out of bed, put one leg in their pants after the other, put their boots on, you know, got a cup of coffee, drove up here, even if you're tired, even if, man, you know what, my dog pooped on my rug and I just don't feel like going this morning. God will reward you because you've made the effort. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You draw near to God, he draws near to you, the Bible says. Hallelujah. I could preach about this all morning, but this isn't even the point of the message, so... It's by faith, Listen, look at this, Hebrews 11.33 says, By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. I'll give you some context, Hebrews chapter 11. Some people call it the hall of faith. You know, we got the hall of fame and the NBA and the MLB and the NFL. Well, this is the hall of faith in, in Hebrews 11. You have all of the people in the Bible that did great 
exploits for the Lord by faith. And I love that verse. It says, because by faith, say faith. faith. These people overthrew kingdoms. We talk about Joshua taking the promised land. Caleb having this report when everybody said, there's giants. We can never take it. Well, Caleb came up and he said, you know what? We can go at once and take the promised land. We preach about that all day long. But it doesn't say that Caleb did that because he was special. He did it by faith. Hallelujah. Abraham received a son at 100 years of age when his body was physically incapable of, in his wife's womb, physically incapable of carrying a child. Well, how did she receive her child? By faith, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11. So apparently all of these people received all of these promises by faith. None of them received any of them apart from faith. So it's very important that we understand what faith is and how to use it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I already answered the questions. If you're here this morning, I'm not going to spend time uh, going over material that I've covered. But in the last week, I answered the first two parts of this message. What is faith? I answered that question thoroughly through the Bible. And, And how do I get faith? I'll just tell you one simple line. What is faith? The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, now faith is. In the New King James, I love, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So what's one of the most important things you need to understand when understanding what is faith? Now faith is. Not going to spend a whole lot of time, but Hebrew, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, These three things shall remain forever faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Did you know, though, in that verse, a lot of people miss this? There's a distinction between faith and hope. Yeah. A lot of people think they're in faith. Yeah, I have faith. You're not in faith, you're in hope. Well, I'm sick, and I believe that I, I'm hoping that God, people will say that. You think you believe God's going to heal me? I, I hope He does. You're in hope. You're not in faith. And they're apparently different. The Bible makes a clear distinction. The woman with the issue of blood, it doesn't say her hope made her well. It says her faith made her well. What is hope? Very simply, hope is future. Now faith is. If you're you're believing God and it's always in the future context, then you're in hope. You're not in faith. If you were to get into Bible faith, you don't say, I believe, I hope God's going to make me well. I believe in the future God's going to heal me next week, next month, next year. That's hope. That's not faith because now faith is. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you have received it, you shall have it. So how do I get into Bible faith? Well, I'm not hoping that God heals me next week. I believe that I receive that healing today in Jesus' name, and I am healed today in Jesus' name. I am blessed today in Jesus' name. I am prosperous today in Jesus' name. I am free from addiction today in Jesus' name, because now faith is. Hallelujah. How do you get faith? Well, we're going to cover this a little bit, but we talked about the Bible says that there's different levels of faith. Jesus spoke to some, and he said, you have no faith. Say, no faith. To others, he spoke, and we showed all these examples. He said, ye of little faith. And then to others, he said, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. So there was no faith, there was little faith, and there was great faith. And here's a biblical principle. You don't receive what God wants you to have. You receive according to your faith. So that means this. If you have no faith, what do you receive? Nothing. If you have little faith, what do you receive? 
little. If you have great faith, what do you receive? Great thanks. Much. Hallelujah. Jesus went to his own hometown, couldn't do. It says couldn't do, could not do many miracles. The disciples went to cast out a devil. They couldn't do it even though Jesus had already given them all authority over the devil. He had already given them and commissioned them to cast out all evil spirits and to heal all manners of sickness and disease. Yet there was a boy, when Jesus was coming off the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a boy at the base of the mountain who they couldn't cast him out. They couldn't cast the devil out. They said, Jesus, why can't we cast him out? He said, you don't have enough faith. (laughs) You unbelieving generation. I love the NLT because it literally says you don't have enough faith. So apparently you can only operate according to your level of faith. Well, how do I get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Praise the Lord. So if, you, if, if any of this is connecting, maybe I've, I've brushed over something that you say, well, that's, that's good. I, I didn't know that I, I'm not sure that I really knew that or I was sure of that. Go back and watch the teachings on faith from last week. I covered both of these things very extensively. I think I taught on an hour, about an hour and 20 minutes on each one. Um, so today, I'm going to cover how do you use your faith? It's not just good, it's not enough just to have faith. You must know how to use your faith. And the Bible actually teaches us how to use our faith. You know, there's a lot of Christians, they have faith, kind of. I, we'll get into this a little bit as well. But yet they never receive anything that God has promised them in the word because they don't know how to use the faith that they have. Hallelujah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 17.6. About to take this jacket off. My wife's always rebuking me that you guys are out there freezing, and I'm standing up here sweating, so... Instead of freezing you out, I'll just take my jacket off today. You just need more fire. You wouldn't be so cold all the time. <laughs> Luke seventeen six. So... Look at verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. So you can't increase your faith, but Jesus actually redirects it and shows them the problem. What he's saying right now is the problem is you guys don't, it's not that you don't have faith. Because let me tell you, the apostles, they had faith. They were, they were kind of knuckleheads. They didn't have the Holy Ghost. They weren't baptized in the Holy Ghost yet. But they, they, they operated in great moments of faith. They saw Jesus do miracles, signs and wonders, feed multitudes, uh, walk on water. I mean, they had faith. And so they're saying, show us how to increase our faith. But the Lord is, is answering the question that I want to go over today. He was saying, right now, it's not really, it's not your amount of faith that's the problem. He's, he's going to show them it's how you use your faith that you have. So I want you to see this in Luke 17, 6. The Lord answered. 
If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Okay, now look at Matthew 17, 20. Seventeen twenty. Jesus said, you don't have enough faith. This was the account, if you read above, of the demon-possessed boy that I was just telling you about. But I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain. So the thing that I want to show you is Jesus said both places that we just read, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. So let me ask you, does it take a lot of faith to move a mountain? No. It actually doesn't take a lot of faith to move a mountain. You just have to know how to use the faith that you have. Hallelujah. He said, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, may you move from there, uh, here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So here's my whole point. It doesn't take a lot of faith to get results. You just need to know how to use the faith that you have. I'll give you a very practical example. If you want to receive healing in your body, you don't have to be an expert in the Bible to be healed in your body. You don't have to be an expert in eschatology to be healed in your Bible, uh, healed in your body. In fact, Jesus got many unlearned people healed in his ministry. They, they weren't experts in the Bible, but yet they were getting healed left and right. Why? Because it's not about that you just, you're the Bible scholar that can recite the Bible frontwards to backwards. That's great and that's important and that produces other benefits in your life. But really, to receive from the Lord, you just have to learn to use the faith that you have. Hallelujah. You know that all you need to do to get healed in your body is get a very simple revelation out of the word of God and then begin to put it to work and put it to action. Some of this will make more sense in just a moment. But I want you to see that. It's not, you know, I'm answering the question today. Maybe some of you have felt like, why have I not received more? Why haven't I, uh, the, I see the Bible has promised me all of these things. Do I just not have enough faith? Well, for some of you, that may be the problem, but for others, I believe that you do have faith. You just aren't using your faith according to the, how the Bible teaches us to use it. Y'all still with me? I want to give you this definition of what is faith. So write this down for point number one this morning. This is just a principle of faith. Faith is when you act on revelation. Faith is when you act on revelation. To help break this down and make it even more simple, there are two ingredients to faith, and most people have one of them, but not the other, and so because they only have one of the two ingredients, they're actually not in Bible faith, but they think that they are. Hallelujah. There's two ingredients to faith. Say two ingredients. Hallelujah. So... Number one, the first ingredient is revelation, right? Revelation. These are the two ingredients to faith. Say revelation. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the first ingredient is revelation. So faith comes by, we'll simplify this, by the word of God. What does that mean? As you read the Bible, as you listen to preaching and teaching, you know what I want to tell you? You could get on YouTube today and type in Kenneth E. Hagin and begin to listen to him, and guess what would happen? You would begin to receive one of the ingredients of faith, which is revelation. You would hear him say something that you've never heard before, and a light bulb would come on, and you'd say, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that that was, that was a thing. <laughs> I didn't know that I could have that, praise God. I didn't know that there was more to it than what I thought. You just received revelation. Hallelujah. You can only operate according to the revelation that you have. You know, the Bible says it's for a lack of knowledge that people perish. You know, so you, some of you, you know, I don't think any of you mind this, but there are some religious devils that would ask the question, why do you spend so much time teaching, John? Why don't you just give us a little 30-minute message, pat us on the butt, and send us on our way? Well, because it's for a lack of knowledge people perish. They're not getting enough. Paul told Timothy, he said, you're a good servant who is nourished by the word of faith and good teaching. Nourished, say nourished. You know how you nourish your inner man? The word of God. Specifically, teaching about faith is nourishing to the inner man. Well, why is it that we live in a generation that seems like of malnourished Christians? Looking like if you could see them in the, in, the, in the spirit, they don't look like Thor or the Incredible Hulk. They look like Holocaust victims, weak in the spirit. Well, why? Because we've reverted to a form of church that's just a seeker-sensitive 25-minute message, something that's relevant, something that's trendy, gets you in, gets you out. And what is it producing? No nourishment in the body of Christ. Jesus said, feed my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. How do you feed them? Timothy, you are nourished by the word of faith and good teaching. So teaching the word is what nourishes the body of Christ. Hallelujah. And so it's for a lack of knowledge that people perish. I told you all many times, and I know we may have some new people tuning in, so I'll say it briefly, that there was a time where me and my wife were sick all the time, even after we got saved. Even after we were in the ministry early on. You know why? I didn't grow up in word of faith. I didn't grow up with, with doctrine in regards to healing. I was taught that healing was a, or sickness was a part of life. And it's just, you know, you go to the doctor, you just medicate it. That's just part of life. That's just how it is. That's all that I knew. And so I love Jesus with everything in me. But I want to tell you, loving Jesus wasn't enough because I lacked revelation in the word of God in regards to the promises that he's given me of of healing in my physical body. So what was the result? Was it that I didn't love Jesus? No, I love Jesus. I serve Jesus. In fact, we were doing ministry things six nights a week. We're running, running, running early, first couple years of our marriage. Just any opportunity we could have to preach the gospel, we did, but we were sick all the time. Well, Is it because God didn't love us? No, he did. It's for a lack of knowledge we were perishing. And I remember the day that, that, you know, I never grew up hearing about Kenneth Hagin, never grew up about hearing Brother Copeland, never grew up hearing about uh, John G. Lake or or, uh, 
Smith Wigglesworth, any of these people, never had any teaching from the Word in this area. And I remember the day that, that we heard, met, that we heard the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That I heard a message preach and a light bulb went off in my head and I said, oh my gosh, I see what I've never seen before. That by his stripes I was healed. Wait, he was pierced for my transgressions. That means that he shed his blood for my sin. In the same verse, Isaiah 53, 5 says, by his stripes you were healed. So Jesus shed his blood for my sin and he at the same time, in the same verse, took stripes on his body for me to be healed. That one revelation right there can set you free from sickness and disease. But I want to show you, there's, two, say, two ingredients. This is the problem. Lots of Christians hear the word, and they hear what I'm telling you right now, but they never get the second ingredient, and they're not in Bible faith. All they have is revelation, but revelation in and of itself is not faith. Hallelujah. Let me show you the second ingredient. Write this down. There's two ingredients of faith. Revelation, number one. Number two, action. Say action. Turn to James 2, 17 through 24. Y'all, I remember, you know, not only were we sick, we struggled financially. Man, I love Jesus with my whole heart. But we were in line for the food box every time it rolled around. And I remember it was three years after I was in ministry that I got the revelation from the word on seed time and harvest. And I put these two ingredients to work. And in one year, I saw our personal income more than double, almost triple. Well, what changed? Did God suddenly decide to bless me? Nope. He loved me the whole time. He desired to bless me the whole time. What changed? My faith, my action, my revelation. And then what, what took place when I got, when I saw the word and began to put it into action, I possessed the promises of God. And we, we continue to do that. We go from glory to glory. Hallelujah. One level to the other. James chapter 2. Is this helping anybody this morning? Praise you, Jesus. James 2, 17 through 24, says this. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. What is he talking about? Faith. He's not talking about what, really, what faith really is. He's talking about people's idea of faith. It's just this knowledge. Having Bible knowledge, we could say, by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, some may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. We, have, we meet people every day knocking on doors. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm good. I'm right with God. I believe Jesus is the Lord. Well, praise God, the demons believe that. The demons don't question whether or not Jesus Christ is the Lord. But if what you, you can't just have this idea, Jesus Christ is the Lord. True faith is it will provoke you to further action than just sitting in your own sphere and in your own life and thinking and, and holding the idea that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's not faith. And look at this. How can you show me your faith, verse 18, 
If you don't have good deeds, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. For you say you have faith, for you believe there's one God. Even the demons believe this and they tremble. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions, say actions, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, faith and his actions work together. I want you to see this. His actions made his faith complete. His actions made his faith complete. There's two ingredients to faith, revelation and action. If all you have is revelation and no action, guess what? Your faith is incomplete and you possess nothing that God has promised you. Why is it that many Christians have, they think, I'm in faith. No, you're full of knowledge. You might have grown up in church your whole life and know this Bible frontwards to backwards, but if there is not action on the revelation that you know you're not in faith, you're in complete unbelief. Action makes your faith complete. Now, what is action? Can I give you an example of action? Many Pentecostals would agree. Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes I'm healed. Matthew 8, 17, he took our sicknesses. He removed our diseases. 2 Peter 2, 24, repeats Isaiah 53, 5. We all know that by his stripes ye were healed. You could quote 1 Corinthians 11. Paul said that if you discern the body of the Lord, you would not be sick, you would not be weak, and you wouldn't die a premature death. Paul teaches that in 1 Corinthians 11. You can know all of that. But can I tell you, knowing that is not faith. What faith would be is coming in here, you say, well, I know that, but what is your action? Well, I can't come to church today, I'm sick. Well, we're in church, but I can't, I can't, I don't want to worship, I don't want to do, I just don't, my leg, you know, I believe what the word says about my leg, but it's just not feeling that way right now. Well, you're in incomplete faith. You're only in one ingredient of what is Bible faith. Faith is revelation plus action. What is action of that revelation? I know what the Bible says, so guess what? I'm going to act on it, and I'm going to get up. I'm going to begin to walk around the room and put action behind my revelation, and then when you do that, your faith is complete, and you are operating in Bible faith faith. And it doesn't take great faith to move mountains. It only takes a mustard seed of revelation. But if you'll put action behind that revelation, you could move an entire mountain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Say faith is action. Faith is revelation and action. Faith is acting on the revelation you have from the word of God. So, Again, I told you that we prove that there's different levels of faith. So I want want you to catch this. You can have all of the revelation in the world. You can be the most studied up Christian on planet earth. But if you have no action behind that revelation, you are in complete unbelief. You would be qualified as what Jesus said, you have no faith. Why? Because Without the action, it's not faith. It's incomplete. Y'all see that? You could have all the revelation in the world and know the Bible from front to back and memorize the book of Matthew and quote it to me, but if there's no action behind what you believe, 
Say you have a little bit of action. Well, okay, I know all this, and I have a little bit of action in my life. You know what level of faith you're at? Little faith. Because action completes your faith. But if you're in a place where you know the word of God and you have great action behind that revelation, guess what level of faith you're at? Great faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Y'all getting this this morning? Man, this will literally change your life forever. It's just the same principle. You could put this across the board. Seed time and harvest. Well, I know that the Bible teaches seed time and harvest. You can know it all day long. (laughs) Till you act on it, you're not in faith. I think everybody gets that. Number two, write this down. Very simply, faith. Today we're teaching you how to use your faith. Faith is action. Faith is action. Turn to Mark 2, 1 through 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was packed with visitors, that there was no room, even, out, even outside the door, while he was preaching God's word to them. Four men arriving, arrived carrying a paralyzed man on the mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and they lowered the man on the mat right in front of Jesus, seeing their what? Faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Then he goes on and heals the man. But I want you to see this. And so faith is action. They knew that Jesus could heal him. Did they not know that? They had heard. Faith comes by hearing. They heard. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies and loving our lives, not even under the point of death. But they had heard of this man named Jesus of Nazareth who is going around opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead, performing signs, wonders, and miracles. Guys, let me ask you this question. Did just knowing, did just having this idea that Jesus could heal this man, was that enough for him to be healed? No. What took place? Faith took place when their action accompanied their revelation. I know that Jesus can heal. I know that he's opening the eyes of the blind and deaf ears and lepers are being cleansed. So they went and got on top of the roof and tore the roof off and they acted on their revelation. Faith is not just knowing. Faith is action. I'm just going to keep screaming it till you get it this morning. Faith is action. Faith is action. Faith is action. Guys, you can't pray for revival and not show up to the meetings. You're not in faith because you're not in action. I've been a part of too many prayer groups that will pray heaven down to the earth and, you know, going nuts in the place and binding the devil and believing God for revival in Angelina County. But if there's not action, boots on the ground, it's not faith. All it is is head knowledge. Faith is action. Mark 5, 24 through 34. Jesus heals in response to faith. This is the woman with the issue of blood. 
So basically there was this woman, she had been bleeding for many years. She had went to many doctors and only gotten worse and spent all of her money, and she heard about Jesus. She heard that he was healing. She just, that's all she knew. Guys, this woman, I guarantee you, she didn't, she wasn't trained and versed in the scriptures. She wouldn't have been able to stand up in the temple and give lectures. All it took was a mustard seed of faith. All it took was one revelation, and then what? With that revelation, action on that revelation. She had heard Jesus was coming. Verse 28, she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And it says, if you read the story, that she pushed through the crowd and reached out and touched the hem of his garment. So think about this. She's telling this story, and Jesus ends up calling her back up after he felt virtue go, and he says, who touched me? She came forward, and she's kind of recounting what took place. So imagine, before this woman went pressing through the crowd, the Bible says she thought to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. Was that thought enough to heal her? No. That thought by itself wasn't If she would have stayed back and just thought, yep, there's Jesus. I know that he can heal me. People act like that all the time. You believe that God can heal you? Yeah, I believe that God can do it. That's not enough just to believe that he can do it. Amen. She couldn't just sit back and think, yeah, I, I know that if I could touch him that I'll be healed. She had to press through the crowds and act on the revelation that she had. Praise you, Lord Jesus. It's not enough to know Jesus can do something. You can know it all day long, but if there's no action, you're in complete unbelief. No faith. Faith is action. Praise God. You know, whenever people come up to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, say faith is action. This last Wednesday night, we had four people come up to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues. Three of those four people for sure received it. Well, why is that? When people come up, something that I do is I don't tell them, okay, let me lay hands on you, and something magical is just going to take place. God's going to possess you, and it's just going to start happening. It doesn't work that way. I tell them, do you believe that when I lay my hands on you that you're going to speak in other tongues? And they, I have to get a verbal, yes, I believe that when you lay those hands on me that I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost. I receive the thing that I'm believing for. So what do I tell people to do? Start praying then. Start speaking out of your mouth, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And when we lay hands on people, faith, you receive the promises of God by what? Faith. And faith is what? Action. So we'll lay hands on them and we'll say right now, by your faith, you start acting. You begin to speak in tongues by faith right now. And people, you see two types of people. You'll see people that will stand there and they won't do it. And guess what? They don't receive it. They could believe every word that I'm saying from this Bible and don't receive any of it when they come up because there was no action. But then you'll have other people that will say, you know what, I'm going to step out of faith and just begin. I don't even know what it is, but I'm going to do it by faith. And then right then and there, it's like the anointing comes on them, comes in them. God baptizes them in the Holy Ghost and fire. Why? By their action. Praise God. So I want to go over just a couple more thoughts with you. Number three, write this down this morning. Your faith is released by your mouth. 
So we're teaching, it's not just enough to have faith. You must learn to use your faith. Well, number one, I must act on my revelation. And number two, I'm going to teach you something very practical, that a lot of Christians do not do this so they don't get results. The Bible teaches that your faith is released by your mouth. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, it does you no good. How do I use faith? You speak. Look at Hebrews 11.3. It says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Say command. That we now that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So the entire universe, God created the universe by faith. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't just give us this principle, you have to operate by faith. It says that even God operated by faith when he created the universe. So if God had to create the universe by faith, what makes us think that we can do anything without faith? You can't. So God created the universe by faith. Now let me ask you this. How did God create the universe in the book of Genesis? The Bible says this in Genesis 1-4. It says, and then he commanded, actually Genesis 1-3, above that. Genesis 1-3, God said, said he said, So he created by faith. Well, how did he create it by faith? Did he get down in space and he start putting? No, he used his faith by speaking. God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Mark 11, 22 through 24, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Jesus said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says, say says, To this mountain, may you be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. But believe, say believes. Those things which he says, say says. He will have whatever he says. Jesus said we could move a mountain by faith. Well, how do you move that mountain? Do you go get dynamite? By faith, I'm blowing it up in dynamite. Do you get a jackhammer? Start drilling through it. No, he said your faith can move a mountain. What does that look like practically? You can say to the mountain. Say, say. So how do I release my words? Or how do I release my faith? By your words. Praise God. Most Christians, again, they know the Bible. They grew up in Sunday school. They've heard things. But yet they live life defeated never receiving anything because they don't put the word of God into action with their mouth. We're going to get into some of these principles even more to help you understand this. But here's something that's interesting. In that passage, this, is, this was not me that uncovered this. Kenneth Hagin taught this. In that passage, it says, whoever says to this mountain, there it says, says once, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, there's the word believes, once. Those things which he says, now says is used twice, he will have whatever he says. God in this passage uses the word says three times and the word believe once. So here's the principle. You have to do three times as much talking, saying as you do believing. 
For every one thing you're believing for, you need to speak three times. Praise God. Well, I'm believing God for a property. I'm believing God for a promotion. But then there's no speaking. There's no getting into the word of God, getting a revelation and speaking. I don't think people even, I don't know if you're catching what I'm saying. You, you know, you have anything that you need and desire in life, you must first find in the word. You know, the Bible says, I'll make you the head and not the tail above and not beneath. If I'm believing God for promotion and I want to be, I don't want to just be an employee. I want to be the boss. Well, there's biblical ground for it. God said he would make you the head and not the tail. So if I'm believing for promotion, I don't just walk around wishing that hope, I hope I get promoted one day. I sure would like to get promoted. No, I stand on the word of God and I say, the word declares that I am the head and not the tail above and not beneath. Therefore, promotion belongs to me in Jesus' name. The Bible says that if I obeyed the word of the Lord and carried out his commands, that he would set me high above all the nations of the earth and they would stand in all of us and give glory to God. Deuteronomy chapter 28. So how do I put my faith into action? I figure out the need that I have in my life and I get in the word in regards to that need and I begin to speak it, speak it, speak it. Hallelujah. You're believing God for healing in your body? Don't just walk around and say, well, I know God can heal. No, by his stripes, I am healed. Well, I got up this morning and I told that I was believing God for my back to feel better and I spoke to it and nothing happened says was used three times that means you but well I was believing and I spoke like half you know about half a time and nothing happened so I just stopped no all morning your back's hurting father thank you that by the stripes of Jesus Christ I'm not trying to get healed I am healed in Jesus name you get up during 20 20 21 or even today there's still some People that are crazy, I guess, they're afraid of this Omicron thing that's going, you know, it's such a joke anyways. But, Father, I thank you that the Bible says in Psalms 91, though a thousand fall at my side and 10,000 are dying around me, these evils will not touch me. I thank you, Father, that that virus can have no part in my body whatsoever. I thank you that you said, do not fear no, the, the arrows that fly by the day and disease that stalks by the night and that no plague comes near my dwelling. Father, I thank you that that virus is not touching me. It's not touching my children. It's not touching anybody in my household. My doorposts are marked by the blood of Jesus. Christians have to learn to start talking like this. But in fact, most Christians are nothing but negative, doubting, and unbelieving and complaining and wondering why we're not victors in life. Because you don't even know how to use the faith that you have. And here's the caveat. You, can, you could say, but you cannot doubt in your heart. So here's a, a simple understanding you need to get a hold of. Here's a little revelation. You make a Bible confession and you do not deviate from it. You cannot say I'm healed at 10 o'clock and then 11 o'clock I'm walking around complaining that I'm not feeling good. Either you're healed or you're sick. Which one is it? You make a confession and you stick to it. Hallelujah. My bills are paid because I'm a seed sower. In Jesus' name, I shall lack no good thing. Well, then all of a sudden, I'm going to start worrying and talking about it. And, uh, no, 
You make a Bible confession and you stick to it. The Bible says in the book of James that a person that's double-minded is like a reed that's blown and tossed by the wind and such a person shouldn't even expect to receive anything from the Lord. Well, if I'm going to have a confession over here and then 10 minutes later I'm, I'm back in unbelief, you shouldn't even, you, your faith won't work. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want to give you some, just a few quick points. I know this is a little bit longer. Can I just have a few more minutes this morning? Yeah. I'm telling you, it's so important. Hallelujah. There's nothing more important you could be listening to right now than how to use your faith. Gain victory in life. You need to get this. So faith is released by your mouth, but I want you to get this point here. Faith comes from your heart, not your head. Very simple point, Romans 10, 9 through 10. Even faith to be saved. It says, if you openly declare, wow, even in regards to salvation, you can't just thank Jesus Christ as the Lord. It says you have to declare it, confess with your mouth. So even to be saved, your faith has to be put into action by confessing with your mouth. So guess what? If you can't be saved without confessing with your mouth, you can't prosper without confessing with your mouth. You can't be healed without confessing with your mouth. You can't get promoted without confessing with your mouth. You can't get free from drugs without confessing with your mouth. You can't receive anything that God's promised in his word without confessing with your mouth. If you openly declare Jesus is Lord and look, believe in your head, believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by, by believing in your heart, you're made right with God and openly declaring, another translation says, confessing with your mouth, you are saved. So that's point number four. This is a quick point number five. These are going to tie together. So faith comes from your heart, true Bible faith that can move mountains. It comes from your heart, not from your head, right? Faith, you must not just believe in your head. You have to believe in your heart. Now, understand this. What you say proves what's in your heart. So if faith is from my heart, how do I know if I'm in faith or not? What you say proves what's in your heart. What you say proves whether you're in faith or you're in doubt and unbelief. The Bible says in Luke 6:45, "A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks." So what does that mean? Well, I believe I you know what? Brother John, I'm just so mad because you told us that if we sowed seed that we would have a harvest and I put my faith and I believed and I just didn't get a harvest. But in actuality, if you looked at your life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you were speaking nothing but doubt, unbelief, complaining about your house, complaining about your car, complaining about your situation. You were not speaking faith in the word of God. And so by your words, it proved what was truly in your heart. And what was in your heart was not faith. What was in your heart was doubt and unbelief. And if, it's, if faith doesn't come from your heart, it's not faith. It doesn't come from your head. Hopefully that makes sense. If not, ask the Holy Ghost to bring you some more revelation on that. So get this. Speaking faith is the only faith that works. Hallelujah. What you say proves what's in your heart. 
You know, I'll give you a little a simple revelation. Your flesh, the Bible says that there's two wars that are being waged all the time, your spirit and your flesh. Your flesh never wants to obey God. It always wants to disobey. And your spirit always wants what's opposite of the flesh and always wants to obey God. So here's the thing is sometimes you have to say it till you believe it. You have to speak in faith, in faith. Hallelujah. (laughs) Your flesh wants to tell you you're sick. Your flesh wants to convince you. You know, there's no hope, whatever, discourage you in your situation. So what do you do? How do I get faith? This is very simple. Again, let's go back to Romans 10. 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you know that you can actually get yourself into faith by speaking what the Bible says over your life. What I mean by this is say the word of God until it builds faith inside of you. I'm going to walk around and confess that I am healed until I actually believe the words that I'm saying. <laughs> I have a whole list. I led the, the, the congregation that was here Wednesday for prayer through a list of confessions that I made. If you haven't heard our story, our daughter Uh, we had a supernatural birth from the Lord that he gave us. They they diagnosed my wife with all these diseases. They told her, if you don't take all this medication, your child's going to die in the womb. Blood clot's going to form in the the umbilical cord. She'll die. You know, my wife had already had miscarriages. Well, we didn't take the medication. We rejected it, and we stood on the word of God. And I actually went through every day I'd go out, and she could tell you there's days I'd spend two or three hours out. Well, what was I doing? Making Bible confessions. (laughs) over my prosperity, over my child's life, over this church, over her life, just getting in the word of what it said in regards to those subjects and then making a Bible confession and then standing on the word. Jesus said I could say and if I believe the things that I say and had not doubt, I'd have what I said. And so, um, you know, people ask me, well, how many times did you make a confession? If it was a confession over her, her health, I would make a confession. Um, all from the word. Oakland River will be born healthy in the name of Jesus. That she is disqualified from, the de- from death in the womb according to the word of the Lord. The devil and all devil spirits are, are uh, disqualified from touching Carissa or this child in any way whatsoever by the word of the Lord according or by the blood of Jesus according to the word of the Lord. I had this whole confession just backed by scripture, 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 scripture. Well, at first, you say, well, how many times did you say it? I said it until I believed what I was saying. I'd go out there and say it 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 until I believed what I was saying. Well, if I said it one time and I was like, no, there was no faith behind that. That was religious. There was no faith behind what I just did. I would just keep saying it until faith came by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I made confessions over this church, and there was no coincidence. Within a month or two, we had a $25,000 check come into the church. Will you say, was that a coincidence? No. We made conf- I was making confessions, releasing my faith. Hallelujah. Write this point down. I have two more points for you this morning. Just like God, your words never return void. 
Just like God, your words never return void. Isaiah 55, 11, the Lord said, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. What I say is what it is, is what God said. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That means that God said, if I say it, that's what it is, and that's what happens, period. Well, that's how God works. God's word always produces according to what it is, what he says. And think about this in the beginning. You have God. We saw saw God. The first picture we have of God is him speaking. Let there be light. He's speaking the universe, light, darkness, creation, everything into existence. And then it says man was made in his image and his likeness. What's the likeness of God? Well, at that point in Genesis, if you've never read any of the rest of the Bible, the only image you have of God is this person that speaks things into existence. That's the only picture you have of him up to that point. And man was made in his image and his likeness. So just like God, your words never return void. Hallelujah. Let me say it to you in another way. Jesus said this in Luke 8, 11. Now, this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. So not just the word, but, but the Bible says is that every word that Jesus spoke was a seed. Okay? Say it was a seed. God said that his word is a seed. Brother Tristan read the verse this morning that a seed produces according to its kind. Did you read that verse? Or was it, neither shall seed time and harvest cease? Okay, well, the Bible teaches that a seed produces according to its kind. Amen. Amen. Two donkeys get together and a seed is planted in one donkey. It doesn't make a cat. It doesn't make a rhino. It makes a donkey. An apple, tree, an apple seed makes an apple tree. A lemon seed makes a lemon tree. Amen. A seed produces according to its kind. So, so get this. God's word. Jesus said, my word, every word that I speak goes out as a seed and then operates on the principle that a seed produces according to its kind. So think of this. What would, what would a word spoken, a word of destruction, what would it produce? It would produce destruction. Why? Because the, your word is a seed and it produces according to its kind. So what would a word of faith produce? Faith. Because a seed produces according to its kind. What would a word of death produce? What would a word of life produce? Hallelujah. So if, if, your, if your words are seed, the Bible says, look at Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You will always reap the harvest of your words, good or bad. Am I boring y'all this morning? No? Okay. Praise God. Do you see your words will always produce? I'm going to finish with this last point. That it, Man, it'll just drive this point home. So good. But do you see why Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36? He said, I tell you, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. Jesus understood how important our words are. So your words are so important 
And the, the government of God was created that your word goes forth like a seed and it always produces according to the type of seed that was sown. It's so influential. It has such power to move heaven and earth that he said that we would give an account for every idle word that was spoken. You know what the word idle means? It means a word that's not working. So what does that mean? Jesus said, let me say it like this, you'll give an account for every unintentional word that you spoke. I spoke and I didn't release this word with intention behind it. I didn't release this word like a seed to produce. I just spoke. I just, I just, spo- I just felt that way, so that's what I said. We'll give an account for every idle word that we've ever spoken. See how important our words are and how it's tied to your faith, using your faith, loosing your faith? That's why David understood this. He says in Psalms 141.3, New King James, he said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Why would David say that? Because every word will produce after the type of word that it was. Why would David say that? Well, because he understood this principle as well. So did Jesus. Last last point this morning is this. You won't have what you want in life. You will have what you say by faith in life. You will not have what you desire in life. You will only have what you say. I'm going to prove it to you by the Bible. But let me repeat it one more time. Because there's a lot of good people that want good things. There's a lot of people that want things that God wants them to have. Jesus said in John 10.10, I will that you have life and life abundantly. Jesus wants us to prosper. The Lord wants us to prosper. The Bible says, God says, I delight in the prosperity of my servants. Psalms 23, cup overflowing with blessing. Praise God. Still waters, green pastures. I was listening to Kenneth E. Hagin teach this morning while I was getting dressed. He was teaching about heaven on earth. He was teaching about the promised land. It's not in glory one day when we go to heaven that the promised land for the Israelites was not a type and shadow of heaven. It was a type and shadow of the believer's life baptized in the Holy Ghost. Heaven on earth. (laughs) All that we've been given in Christ. So you won't have what you want in life. You won't have what God wants you to have in life. You'll only have what you say. And this is, I'm going to finish with this, but Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. It says this, a man's stomach shall be satisfied, what? From the fruit of his mouth. What does that mean? Whether you go hungry or you go fed will not be determined by your skill by how hard of a worker you are, by how good of a person you are, it will be determined by the fruit of your mouth. Why is it, Lord, that I'm a good-hearted person, but yet I go, it seems like I'm going hungry? Check your words. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Get this next line. Death and life are in the power of God's sovereignty. Death and life are in the power of 
God's will and what he decides. If he, you know, if God decides that he wants another a flower in the garden of heaven, then that'll determine whether your child lives or your die. You know, you hear people say that. You hear preachers preach funerals. Well, God just needed another angel in heaven. No. Death and life. What does it mean by death and life? Whether you live or whether you die is not determined by God's sovereign will. Well, it was in his sovereign will that I died at 40 years old. No, it's determined by the power of your tongue. What you say will determine whether you live or whether you die. And what you say will determine how you live and how you die. Praise God. I'm not dying of COVID-19. You, man, if you've talked to me since 2020, I've never, I've never feared that virus one time. I laughed. I had family that thought I was a lunatic because as soon as I heard about it, I just immediately was like, that's the biggest joke I've ever heard in my entire life. And has it hurt people? Yes. And there was political agenda behind it. Some of the people that they say died of COVID, you know, they didn't really die of COVID. They went and, 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 and died of hospitals, honestly. You want to dig into it, and I'm not going to debate or argue with anybody, but even if there was a deadly disease, I still just laughed because I said the Bible declares that I'm exempt from it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So whether you live or die, I want to tell you, if there's anybody watching me right now that you're struggling with terminal illness, whether you live or die is not determined by God's will for you, it will be determined by your confession of faith. Begin to get in the word and say, no, it is God's will that I live. I will live. Choose today. Choose between death or life. Lord, I choose life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Long life shall you satisfy me on the earth, declares the Lord in Psalms 91. In Ephesians chapter 6, honor your father and mother. If you do, says the Lord, things will go well for you and you'll live a long life on this earth. Say long life. life. 30-year-old is not long. 40 is not long. 50 is not long. I'll go so far as to say this. The Bible declares that a man can live 120 years. How, you say, well, how long can I live? As long as you declare. <laughs> Once you get to 120, I, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, but if you think 70 is old, and that's a long life, well, guess what? You'll probably live to be about 70 years old. If you get to 80 and you say, well, I've lived my life, I'm done. Well, by the power of the tongue, you shall have what you say. But if you, like Kenneth Copeland, he says, I'm living to 120. And what is he now, 90? Still up there preaching in Tampa weather, 100 degrees. He's almost 90 years old, preaching three hours long in a suit and uh, 100 degrees with 100% humidity. There's most 45-year-olds that couldn't do that. Well, why? By his confession and by his faith, it literally has given him life to his bones and healing to his body. Hallelujah. The death and life are in the power of tongue, of the tongue. Whether you live and how you live will be a harvest of your mouth. Praise God. James, I'm going to finish with this, James 3, 2 through 4. The Bible says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. That's pretty interesting right there. So apparently people aren't really 
Why is it that so many Christians, even after they get the Holy Ghost, oh man, I'm just struggling with sin. I'm just struggling to overcome your tongue. If you could control your tongue, the Bible says you'd be perfect in every way. Well, apparently a key to walking in holiness and righteousness and sanctification is the words that also come out of my mouth. Because at the end of the day, I, I'm, I, I'm not just sovereignly who God says that I am. I am who I say that God says that I am. It wasn't enough for God to call Abram Abraham. Abram had to call himself Abraham before he ever had a child. So it says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. If you have a highlighter, underline that. I cut it off in my notes, but I'm going to turn there real quick. James, because the very next line. So it says, a small rudder, so a bit can, can direct an, a, a horse. Get this. If you want a horse to go this way, what do you do? You jerk the little bit in its mouth this way, and it goes that way. You want a ship to turn, you direct the rudder. And however the rudder is pointed, that's where the ship goes. You see that? So look at the very next line in verse 5. In verse 5 it says, in the same way the tongue, in the same way as what? As the bit that's in the horse's mouth or the rudder that's directing the ship in the same way, the tongue. Wow. The tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Hallelujah. So this point, you won't have what you want in life. You'll have what you say by faith. Get this as well. You will not go where you want to go in life. You'll go. Your life will follow the direction of your words. Wherever you want to go, you point your words right now. Whatever you're believing God for, you better point your words right now. And the Bible says that when you begin to speak, just like a horse or just like a ship, it will go. Your life will go in the directions of the words that you speak. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I love this. It says, the ship will go wherever the pilot chooses, even though the winds are strong. How many of you know we're just going through storms? Your life doesn't have to be dictated by the storm you're going through. You can literally go right through the middle of that sucker, untouched, unwavered, without changing course at all. How? By the direction of your words. If you'll get in a situation where your, test, where your faith is being tested and not compromise and not give in to what you see but walk by faith and not by sight and direct your life with your words and declare the word of the Lord, you can navigate through the strongest winds completely unwavered by the direction of your words and your tongue. Hallelujah. Well, Father, I thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, I pray that it helped these people. I pray, Lord, for, for testimonies coming out in the mighty name of Jesus, that over the next days and weeks that we'll have people coming up here just so excited because they put into action their revelation and it began to produce for them. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. amen.